Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm James. And this is the Decahedron RPG Podcast. Hi, James. Hi, Joseph. How are you this week? Uh, just keep on hanging in there. I'll live for another <laughs> day. And your week? Ah, uh, very, very busy. And next week's going to be very, very busy. But next week, we are recording a show with Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And we're going to discuss what is an RPG. Uh, and we were also going to discuss why Boot Hill wasn't an RPG. And he was going to try to convince me that it was. And I was going to convince him that it wasn't. But I've already conceded defeat on that argument. So it's just going to be what is an RPG. You lost. Uh, yeah, I lost. You know, you win some, you lose some. Okay, and what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about sandboxes. So I'm going to um, talk about what a sandbox is. And you know me, I tend to babble on a bit, so you can take a little nap. And uh, we'll get to the bit where I start asking you some questions in a little bit. Of course, the sandbox is a campaign where it's, it's just like it says, you know, when in the if you have kids, if you were a kid. I, I was a kid once, you know, you, you, have to <laughs> you have toys and you have games, right? Games have rules, games, Monopoly, you start at start, you start at go, you roll the dice, you move in a clockwise direction, you know, buy property, blah, 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 blah. But you know, you're, you're on that track, you're, you're going down there. It's that's all you're doing. But in a sandbox, there's no rules. There's no objective it's whatever you want it to be you go there you you have some toys i don't know maybe you build a little sand castle maybe you build a little hill maybe you dig a hole maybe you play with some little army men it's whatever you want to do i like that freedom and even outside of my, the toy metaphor my favorite video games are sandbox style video games uh that my two number one video game that can you have two number one video games my two favorite video games of all time are Minecraft. Actually, I'll make it my top three are Minecraft, which by definition of the sandbox, there's no way to win Minecraft. Uh, you just do what you want to do. It's Kerbal Space Program. There is no winning in Kerbal Space Pro Program. You just keep your little Kerbals alive as you go to the moon or to wherever, whatever mission you pick, but you pick it. It doesn't give you the missions. And Elite, which is an old traveler-esque uh, video game where you go from planet to planet, but there's no, like I said, there's no missions. There's no quests. You do what you want to do. You buy, you sell, upgrade your ship. Maybe you go fight pirates, whatever. That's sandboxing. And in role-playing games, it's the same thing. It's the GM sets up a campaign, a setting, a world, fantasy world, could be a modern world, although I've never seen a modern sandbox, but I'm sure they exist. Uh, far future world, I've done like Traveler as a sandbox. And you don't say to the players, there's an old man wearing a cloak in the shadowy corner of the tavern, and he beckons for you to come over. You know, there, there's no quest giver. Well, there could be quest givers everywhere, but there's not one that starts off the campaign or everything. It's up to the players to go out and do what they want. And I like it because, well, one, it gives the players the ultimate freedom. 
they can do, again, there's no railroad. It's the exact opposite of a railroad. They have the agency to do what they want. And when I'm playing, that's what I love about role-playing games is that openness, that that freedom to do the unexpected. Um, I like it because it gives the players an opportunity to, to explore because they're not following this one little adventure path. They can go look at my world. And I said before, I love world building. I love creating worlds. And I love to set adventures off in my world so they can explore it and have fun. Um, I like it because rather than some storyline that I came up with, we have what we call emergent storylines, which is the story's dictated by the players, by what they have done, what they want to do. It's all player-driven, and that's the way I feel it should be. Um, the only, I'm putting disadvantaging air quotes here, the, the onus is on the GM, though, to make sure that, as they've been saying lately, that there are toys in the sandbox, that there are adventure hooks in the various directions, blah, blah, blah. All right, so that is what a sandbox is. I'm going to breathe for a second now. Yeah, I'm actually going to throw something in there for you. That is not a traditional D&D format. I will say it's more of a indie game. Is that the best? No, I'm, 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 I'm going to disagree with you. It is a style of play. So that is what a sandbox is. Now, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And my first question for you, sir, is what is your opinion of sandbox as a player, sandbox games versus the more traditional, I don't like that word, uh, the more, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, The more (laughs) common. (laughs) What's your opinion of sandboxes versus the more commonly encountered uh, structured adventure? I like both of them to start with. It's just that with your sandbox method, you don't always know what your objective is, where you're going. It's more of, and if you have a good DM, it's good, that the DM has to create the adventure on the fly. So there's a lot more give and take in there. There's a lot more of the adventure being directed by the players in some cases as well. That's my thought. I I have a couple ways to go with this. Uh, One, I'm going to respond to your comment that the GM has to make stuff up on the spot. Well, a GM, first of all, always makes stuff up on the spot. And secondly, uh, not necessarily because the Barony campaign was, I think, our most recent sandbox campaign. Mm -hmm. And there were adventures that were already planned in every direction that you could have gone. Bang, bang, bang. They were already planned out. I didn't have to make it out. I made it up earlier. Uh, so when you encounter them, that's what would happen. So I'm going to go back to your other point, which is you say you don't always know what you're supposed to do. But that's the whole point of a sandbox is there's nothing that you're supposed to do. It's what you want to do. And this is this is this comment right here, because we were talking about this actually a couple of years ago, probably now while time flies, especially after COVID is you always said you were trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. And and that's the thing. There's nothing that you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is anything you want to do. So that's my question for you is, is it that you are so used to the structured campaigns that when you have that freedom, 
you're thinking you're still in the structured campaign, so you're looking for that storyline, or is it that you have all these different directions you want to go and you don't know which one to pick, and so you'll have analysis paralysis, or is it that when you play in a group, you don't want to be that overbearing voice that says, I think we should do this, so we're going to do this one. And so then the group always falters and goes back and forth. We're going to address each one of those points individually. I just wanted to throw them all out as sort of an overview. So just pick one and run with it. Um, I, I'm going to do an analogy. It's like a dog having five different bones to choose from. It's like, which one do I want first? So, th- so that's that analysis paralysis I was talking about. Yes. So it's like, what is the best adventure to go? And with yours, there was always some consequences. If you didn't do this one, and I'm thinking there was a kidnapping as one, and it's like, if we didn't go save the boy, he was going to die if we did another adventure. So it, it was a give and take and consequences on which adventure you did choose. Yeah, you're probably remembering that right. I always do the little consequences. I always have little time pressures. Another feature of the Barony campaign is that there was a NPC adventuring party in in the town, and they were kind of your rivals. If you didn't go someplace, they probably would, and that job would be off the board. There was a literal job board and stuff like that. So yes, then this analysis paralysis, what could I do as a GM to ease that for you without making it say, this is the adventure, follow this adventure? Because again, that's anathema to a sandbox. And I don't like being that GM that says, follow the golden arrow, don't get off the trail. So so what can I do? How can I present you all these options of things you could do to give you that that feeling that you're immersed in a real world and you have all these decisions and decisions do have consequences. I mean, that otherwise, why would you make them? So yeah, what could I do to make that part easier for you as a player? Well, I don't think it's anything overly that you can do. It's more that the, the when we were playing, we were getting new players every other game. So we never got a group that was a group that knew each other's movements or decisions. And yes, I was actually one of the ones that was overbearing saying, we have to do this. Um, I tend to do that in games and I've been told sometimes I need to ease off on that. But I think the thing is, is you need to get a party. You need to get a group that know each other and can play so with each other so so you're saying that it was a combination of the open table and the sandbox together that was less optimal for your style of play right okay so the next thing that you you kind of just went there naturally is that you say you tend to be that that overbearing player that tries to dictate your will onto the party i'm going to say that i haven't seen that when you play it at my table so my thought is that you are so concerned that you have heard this in the past that you are compensating way on the other end and you never assert yourself that fully. You're, you're so worried about being that person that you don't assert in the party. You try to let other people take the lead. In your games, probably. In previous games, yes, I was very heavy-handed in 
like I said, I tried to give a softer touch. I try to listen to the other people's wants also before I try to lead. <laughs> well, a, a good leader should listen to everyone before uh, making a decision. But I will agree that a group needs a leader and no one else is stepping up. There is no harm in that being you, sir. So once you said to me, uh, I don't think it was during the barony. I think it was during the campaign that was before that. But you said to me that maybe I should give the party a quest. Say, go out and find all seven parts of the rod of seven parts or whatever it was. Yeah, that that sounds right. <laughs> but does that then become not a sandbox? It ceases to become go do what you want to do. And it becomes then this is what you're going to do. It it's is. taking that freedom away from the players. It's taking that agency away from the players. It is and it isn't. It's more, how about I say it this way? You, it would be better to have a purpose instead of uh, just a scattering of adventures. But why can't you determine what your purpose is? Why does it have to be GM-driven? Why can't you say, my purpose is to become the Baroness's right-hand man. I like where you're going with that. That plays into at least one of the games we we did. There needs to be a zero a, a zero episode where everyone actually throws into the hat what they want to do or what their character wants to do and get something out of that where the party is together for a purpose. I Again, I'm going to disagree with you on this. I think it's perfectly acceptable that you are... I'm not going to disagree with the... I'm going to semi-disagree with Assessing Zero. Assessing Zero works in the traditional, this is our gaming group. We're going to meet every Wednesday. We're going to venture for two hours, and then we're going to come back next week and do it all again. In an open table concept, Assessing Zero is meaningless because hey, it's right. Players can come and go as they will. But yeah, in the traditional one, I, I like it, the session zero, but I do not see any reason why your goal can't be to become the Baroness's right-hand man and Jane's goal is to uh, acquire as much wealth as she can and become uh, the world's greatest thief. And, you know, Sam's goal could be to... Uh, start his own wizard tower like miles away from town you know just so he's just trying to acquire power and resources and magic so the, the question is yeah why can't you have your own goal why do you need me to give you the goal i think i'm going to agree with you on part of your comment from earlier that it's just the way the game the way we learned the game it was always here's the adventure the Dukes called you in, or you got hired from the bar to do something. So it is old school thought. Is it changing? In some cases, yes. Most cases, I'm going to say no. I don't see a lot of adventures that are the sandbox format. I see a lot more modules, especially Pathfinder, D&D, Frontier. Well, that's because... It's in terms of relative ease of making a product to sell, um, it is considerably easier to make a 
a venture path than it is to make a sandbox. Because an adventure path, even though you're going to say it has 20 adventures in it, you're just saying, okay, they're going to do this one, then they're going to do that one, then they're going to do that one. Whereas with a sandbox, um, you know, you don't know where they're going to go. So you have to put things in every direction. And if you want every path to have 20 paths, then that's going to be, you know, five times more work or 10 times more work, depending on how many directions they want to go. Of course, you can have storylines converge, but we're getting to it. Yeah, I think one of the other things is also um, with the conventional module, you knew it was, and I'm just using a general term, it was level one to level five. When you do the sandbox routine, the DM really has to scale that particular outing to the level of the players involved. Oh, I'm going to 198% because that's in the way numbers work. <laughs> I'm going to completely disagree with you there. Okay. And I don't think you're going to even going to be surprised by that because no. you know that I think it's perfectly acceptable that you wander into a dungeon, into a tower, into ruins, whatever you encounter, and you're a first-level par- party, and you encounter a giant red dragon. That's not run, my fault. Run, run, run. And that gives you, yeah, perfectly. That's exactly what you should do. Run, run. Or I don't know, maybe you can get really wily and try to befriend it. And uh, uh, a red dragon, not likely. Be, be its lackey. Um, but anyway, yeah, run. But then that gives you kind of this thing where you say, wow, there's this dragon sitting on all this treasure. We need to get powerful enough to come back and get that dragon. It gives you a motivation for the future. Just because you ran into it now doesn't mean you have to take care of it now. That can become a goal. That can become one of those quests that you want to be giving. Only it wasn't thrown at you by the GM. It's when you develop yourself because of what you encountered. <sighs> well, I'm going to ask you about your barony thing. Okay. So in- in any direction we went, you had some type of different encounter planned. Yes. I mean, you, you came across the, the ruined tower with the bandits yeah. in it. Um, there was the area of the of the wild plants that would try to uh, control you and do that stuff. And um, some type of necromancer zombie yeah. adventure. Yeah. And then there was the whole the whole adventure hook of what happened to the Baroness's brother when he first set up the barony that no one showed any interest in following, which is fine because that's what a sandbox campaign is all about. You, you can't ignore what you don't want to follow. And um, yeah, there, there were adventure hooks all over the place. I think in part of it that maybe the DM would get upset that we didn't pick up the hook that he put right in front of our faces and no we went to the one behind us that's not me i don't care well i heard that with the uh we didn't chase the where the brother disappeared to that felt like you were a little sad that we didn't chase that hook no that was just something for you to come back to at some point but for you to sit there and to say i don't know what we're supposed to do when there's this big honking mystery in front of you i'm like I, I I don't know. There's this whole story about how there was a whole town here and everyone vanished. 
(laughs) What do you need? (laughs) I think there was too many hooks, but it that I'm back to used to being uh, led by the nose. Ah, I was trying to stay away from that. (laughs) Stay on the rails, also, whatever term you want to be using. Yes, it's just that I'm a little more used to that, so I also. I don't have a good way to say it. I want to go whatever way the Dungeon Masters were doing us because he, ha- I have, I've had in the past where one Dungeon Master, um, he set up an entire adventure and the whole party, no, we're not going that way. We're going this way. And, he's like, and he comes back, I don't have anything planned for that. And that is an unprepared DM because no matter where the adventure starts, you know the party's going to disrail it some way. Yes, I w- I w- I'm hoping that was like long ago and there was just an inexperienced uh, GM and that's something that you pick up over time. Yes. Uh, is there any other questions on the sandbox? Yes. So I am currently developing two sandbox campaigns. Uh, I am bringing Blood Pour Isle back to life. And I'm rubbing off the old serial numbers, uh, the D&D serial numbers from that and making it more generic and more human-esque. And of course, the Crowfield campaign, both of which are sandboxes. If you were to play in these, what do I need to do to make it easier for James or people like James to know, do anything? (laughs) No matter what you do, you will find something to do. You just have to go do it and don't sit around worrying about what you should do. I'm going to bring two things up for that. One, you simply need to give that speech at the beginning of the game. Okay. That's very great advice. That's awesome. Gold star to you, sir. Okay. The other thing, and I'm going to agree with you, but it's no easy thing. having a time set on the adventure sometimes kills what you want to do first because if you do adventure C, sake of argument, you're never going to get back to adventure A. That's the one thing that I would be hard to find to pick one of them. Um, it's like, I'm never going to see what what happened in A. Maybe even if you were to just... Um, have the other venture party run it and give us uh, an end result, uh, a synopsis of, yes, the other party went and saved the boy or the other party went and killed the basculus that was terrorizing the town. Oh, actually, that that's exactly what was going to happen, right? I, I was setting up a rivalry between you and that other party and anything you didn't accomplish, they were going to accomplish and they were, you know, it was going to be a little rivalry to see who'd be the heroes of the town. You were that. Oh. I don't know if you ever caught we, up on that. Well, you never got there, but I think it was more that we kept changing parties every week when we did play. I think that's part of what messed that up. So, 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 so you're saying you are not a fan of the open table. You want a week-to-week party. I'm a fan of the open table to the point that it's good to play. But what it is is... When you play with a party, and I'm sure you've had long-term parties, you get a click. You know that um, 
player John is going to do this, and you're going to do this, and Mary's going to do this. So it is more of, put it this way, it's not a cluster. All right. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to throw one more thing at you, and then I think we'll wrap it up. Are you familiar with GNS theory? Not that I'm familiar with. All right. Well, I'm going to use the actual words then, and maybe you will be. Uh, so GNS stands for Gamer Narrativist Simulationist. Does that sound familiar? I understand what you're saying, yes. But I really haven't discussed it much. So, yeah, so that's that's the theory that different people approach gaming from one of these three different angles. It's not really that pure, right? Everybody has a little mixture of all of them. It's just which way you, you lean, right? The simulationist wants the game that mimics reality as closely as possible, right? He wants your chainmail armor to have like pluses against slashing weapons, but not against crushing weapons. And he wants the armor to age over time and to become less effective and for you to have to to spend more money to keep it updated and stuff like that. He wants it to 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 mimic reality as closely as possible, right? The narrativist wants a good story to come out of it. They don't care about all the details. They don't care, you know, just enough to make the story good. And a lot of times, like your 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 pure narrativist, all the way at the end there, they care more about the story than their characters and. They're the ones that do a lot of uh, what would my character do versus what's the best thing to do and stuff like that. And the gamer wants rules. He wants to know that, hey, there's a plus one for that or minus three for that. And this is what I need to do to win. This is how I need to, to win the game. And it sounds to me like you have a strong gamist streak and you want the quest because that's how you know you're winning, because you're accomplishing that quest. You're getting closer to that goal. How does that sound? Close. Maybe not on point. Well, again, it's, it's, it's like a triangle. Everybody exists somewhere in the triangle. No one's all the way at one end or the other. I'm kind of far away from the simulationist side, uh, kind of halfway between gamer and narrativist, probably a little closer to narrativist than gamer, but that's that's where I live. It sounds to me like you're a little closer to gamer because, again, you want the quest because that's how you win. That's what, how you know what you're supposed to do because you want to win the game. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different way of approaching the game. Maybe not win the game, but become stronger, the character-wise, be stronger and more. <sighs> eh. Before you say it, uh, what was it? What what was it you called me a uh, a munchkin? A munchkin, yes. Maybe <laughs> a little bit more munchkin. It sounds like we're done talking about sandboxes. I think it was a good conversation. Was there anything else you wanted to say about sandboxes? I want to say I'm more in fan of um, world building, but it is an enjoyable thing. It just has a lot more work you have to do. All right. Well, thank you, James, for joining me. Thank you, Joe. And thank you for the audience for listening to our drivel today. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Let us know, please, how you feel about sandboxes versus the plotted storyline campaign. Uh, let me know what you think works best for you. If you have any tips or advice for how to make sandboxes work better, 
um, call them in. Let us know. All the ways to leave feedback are in the show notes. They're in the outro information that you're about to hear in the music. You might be hearing it now. Or they're at decahedron.com. That's decahedron with a K. Until next week, happy life, happy gaming. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Decahedron RPG cast. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message by calling 562-774-2278. That's 562-RPG-CAST. Or by visiting sayhi.chat slash Decahedron. You can also email us at feedback at Decahedron.com. Links are in the show notes. For more information, visit Decahedron.com. Remember that Decahedron is spelled with a K. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Logo is by Design Cat. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep those dice rolling.